Several years ago, I was speaking at a church up in Vancouver, Washington. And there was a couple, a couple, elderly gentleman and his wife who attended that particular night. And I happened to be speaking about the subject that I spoke about the night before. When I went to visit the home, the gentleman just was very frank about how he felt concerning what I had presented. And he simply says, I don't believe anything that you said. <laughs> well, I don't always get that kind of greeting. But anyway, um, I said, what is it that you don't agree with? He said, all that stuff about the beast and, uh, and revelation, it isn't true. And while he was talking, I was impressed to look at his bookcase. So I got up and looked at his bookcase, and there I saw a Bible. So I pulled it out, and I said, is this your Bible? I said, yes, that is my Bible. And he said, that's an old Bible. How old is it? He said, well, it was a Bible that was given to me for good attendance at Sunday school. So I thought, well, that's interesting. It was given by the Presbyterian Church Sunday school department to a young man in 1935 for good attendance. And uh, I was visiting him in 2005. He was living in Vancouver, Washington at that time. So I opened up the Bible since it was his, and it, inside you can see the handwriting presented by the Community Presbyterian Sunday School of, uh, what is it, LaGrange, Wyoming. Uh, February 10, 1935, for attending, uh, etc. So he was punctual, and he got this Bible free of charge, and it was given to him by the superintendent and the pastor, both signed it. Well, I thought it was quite interesting, and I was, I was, I was being led to, to sense that in this Bible, I could find something that could help that gentleman understand that I was not making up this information. So I went to the back of the Bible, because usually some of those old Bibles had commentaries. So I went to the old Bible, the old Presbyterian Bible, and I went to the back. And here's what I found. Uh, in the back, it says prophecies literally what? Fulfilled. And so then I, be, I scanned very quickly, and there I saw something. Revelation 13 to 17. Can you see that? Well, in case you can't, let's see if you can see this one. Notice Revelation 1. Now you remember, of course, your Roman numerals, I hope. How many of you remember X represents what? And three? Three ones? Three. So that's 13, right? And then, of course, you have... 10 and what? And so what is that? 17. So Revelation 13 to 17. And here's what it says. 
It says, the rise, power, and fury of the mystical Babylon are uh, here set forth, and Rome, built on seven hills, is pointed out as the seat of this tyranny. I couldn't believe my eyes. And I read it to him. I said, you did say this is your Bible. He said, let me see that. So I handed him his Bible, and he read it. And he started shaking. Because now he understood that it was not something that this young man had put together, but that it was something that most churches, Protestant churches, understood. Did, I, did you hear what I said? Most Protestant churches understood a long time ago. But most of us have forgotten because it had not been taught recently. You hear what I'm saying? Let's pray together. Loving Father, as we study your word, we recognize that we can find things that may be disturbing to us, but we pray that you will not leave us with a sense of being comfortable but that you will be willing and merciful to us to move us and shake us so that we will then be willing to follow you wherever you lead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the rise of power and fury of the mystical Babylon that hits it forth and Rome built on seven hills it pointed out as a seed of this tyranny. You remember then, according to what we studied the, the other night, that the uh, beast uh, would be a power that would introduce into Christianity medicine that could be fatal. Now, you know most of you Dennis Quaid. How many of you know who Dennis Quaid is? I mean, you do not know who Dennis Quaid is. Well, good for you. It means you haven't been watching the movies or television. <laughs> okay. Well, Dennis Quaid actually is a considered to be a star in more than 50 films. What happened is not to Dennis nor his wife, but they had twin uh, children that were born to them. And uh, she felt when they were left in the uh, ward, she went home, but she felt like there was something not right. You know how mothers sometimes get that sense that something's not right. So she, she called the hospital only to discover that the children were in some kind of a trauma. And so they went to the hospital and discovered that the nurse had made a mistake. So instead of giving 10 units, they gave 10,000 units to the babies. And you see what it is, right? Heparin. Which means then that those little babies were in grave danger. Well, they ran to the hospital and uh, they did everything they could to help. And fortunately, the children made it through. So... Bad medicine is not only bad for the health, bad spiritual medicine is bad for the spiritual health. And it will be fatal. I didn't say it can be, it 
will be faithful. Well, let's continue from what Paul wrote. If you remember that I've quoted this before, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto a what? Another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let them be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let them be accursed. Now that's three times. And that particular uh, phrase, be accursed, is the worst denunciation in the Bible. Which means then that Paul considered a false gospel to be that which is very, very dangerous. That's why he repeated, let him be a curse. Now, we remember the beast that came up out of the sea. Out of what? The sea. And you should know that the sea actually represents the waters, according to Revelation chapter 17, waters represent a multitude of people. What? A multitude of people. So this beast power comes out where there's a lot of people. And uh, it had seven heads and ten horns. You remember then uh, that the beast was made up of three other beasts, and that was the lion of Daniel, the bear of Daniel, and of course the leopard of Daniel. So you have the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and finally you had the Grecian Empire. Um, so these three beasts finally became one beast, and that's why the beast in Revelation 13 has the mouth of a lion, the feet of a bear, and the body of a leopard. There are many things that we still have today from Rome ourselves. Um, we have many things from England. We have many things from Germany. There are many things that uh, we basically have brought over to, to this uh, country and it has become Americanized. Is that true? And most of us don't even know that some of these things are from other places. For example, spaghettis. Everybody gives the um, uh, Italians the uh, compliment for creating spaghetti. However, it was Marco Polo who went to China and discovered spaghetti in China. And he brought it over to Italy, and Italy kind of adopted it, and now Italians take the glory for the spaghettis when it actually came from where? In China. How many of you knew that? How many of you did not know that? Well, now you know that when you're eating spaghetti, you're eating Chinese food, not Italian food. Of course, it is dressed up with spaghetti sauce and things like that. So there are many things that have come over into our, our uh, environment that have been brought in, and some people liked it, some people didn't like it. For example, a lot of people like sauerkraut, correct? How many of you like sauerkraut? Well, where does that come from? It's not American. It comes from Europe, mostly from Germany and Poland. A lot of Polish folk like sauerkraut as well. So there are many things that have been adopted. We have words in English that are actually uh, from Greek 
or they're actually from Latin, uh, or from uh, German. And so there are many, many, uh, how can I say, interactions that have occurred that have made what we call today America, but in reality, America is not what they, not something that's genuinely um, brought together out of America, but actually brought in by other places. Spain has that problem. Spain uh, uh, boasts about having something called Castilian Spanish. How many of you have heard of Castilian Spanish? All right. And if you don't speak Castilian Spanish, you're not speaking Spanish as far as they're concerned. However, uh, what I discovered is that a lot of what they consider to be Castilian Spanish is either Arabic or Jewish. Now you're surprised. Well, for example, pants. You know the word for pants in Spanish is pantalón. In, in Arabic is pantaloon. So the Arabs actually brought the word to Spain. And the Spaniards adopted it and they, they claim it as Castilian Spanish. But it's Castilian Arabic. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, the same thing has happened with religion. There are a lot of things that have been brought in into today's religion that originally did not come from the scriptures. And that's the issue that we're dealing with tonight. And so, just a review of the little horn, which came up out of the ten horns that removed three. The, the uh, little horn rises up out of the ten divisions of Rome. It plucks up three kings. It rules the European nations for 1,216 years. And by the way, that's the time called the Dark Ages. I'm sure many of you have heard of the Dark Ages. And uh, then the, the diverse, diversity of, of this entity, because it was religious, military, and not just uh, uh, political. There was a man at the head, and he speaks blasphemy. In other words, taking the prerogatives of God, claiming that they can forgive sin, and that they can do other things. For example, one of the... the uh, uh, things that they say they can do is they can actually form the body of Christ every Sunday. They can form what? The body of Christ every Sunday. They call that the Eucharist. And what it, what it actually is, according to the scriptures, uh, it, it isn't good. It's a persecuting power. It changes God's times. It receives deadly wound. It makes the world drunk with her wine or the false, false doctrines. The wound is healed, and it has a number and a mark. Now, I, I should very quickly say this. That the Bible is not speaking about individuals. The Bible is speaking about uh, powers. Speaking about what? Powers. In other words, Babylon was a power that controlled the, the known world at the time. Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. They controlled the world, and they... They had a doctrine among the, among the Medes and the Persians, which was the doctrine of infallibility. In other words, when a king made a decree, it could never be taken back. It was considered to be infallible. Well, you know now that among the, those who follow the Catholic faith believe that the Pope is what? Infallible. Okay. So that teaching actually came from the Medes and the Persians. Did you know that? Well, the scripture then reveals that it, it, uh, it is a woman, 
It sits on seven mountains. It is called Babylon the Great. And God calls his people out of it. So the Bible is dealing with not persons, but a power that has arisen from the Roman times forward. So let's look at and see whether or not what I'm saying and what most of you concurred and I think came to the conclusion that it must be who that is talking about. What city is, is a church that sits on seven hills in Europe? Rome. Okay. So I think all of you recognize that it's dealing with the Roman power, but it's dealing with the papal Roman power that, are, that came out of the pagan Roman power. So let's look at some statements that support it. The papacy's power became supreme in Christendom in what year? 538 AD. Due to a letter of the Roman Emperor Justinian, known as the, the Justinian Decree, which set up and acknowledged the Bishop of Rome as the head of all churches. In other words, the, the seat of the Roman Empire first was in Rome. And Constantine then moved it to a place called Constantinople, uh, which is in Turkey. And so... Then, as the, that part of the kingdom became weak, finally the part of the other part, the Roman side, became strong. And so the um, bishop of Rome then was actually declared the head of all the, the religions and churches. However, it didn't stop at religion because what happened was that once Justinian became the, the quote, in charge of the churches, it also exercises authority to use the uh, military of the Romans to accomplish whatever it wanted to do. It gave the papacy political power, civil power, as well as ecclesiastical power. This letter became part of the Justinian Code, the fundamental law of the empire, and that year Pope Vigilius ascended the throne under the military protection of Belisarius. This is, of course, History of the Christian Church, Volume 3, page 327. Then the Bible says that it would think to change the times and, uh, and the laws, and also says that it would be able to rule or go for times and times and half a times or 1260 years. If you multiply 30 by 40 in two months, you get 1260 years. Did the, the papacy... Uh, continued for that period of time from 538 until 1200 years and 60 years? The answer is yes. So if you take 538 and you add 1260, you come to what year? 1798. And what's amazing about this is that the Bible predicted that that entity that persecuted and used its power to uh, massacre millions of people. The Bible says that he that kills with the sword shall be killed with the sword. He that leads into captivity shall be led into captivity. Uh, Revelation chapter 13 is what I'm citing. So here's the, the interesting thing. I saw, as it were, uh, one of his heads wounded to death. His deadly wound was healed and all the world did what? Wandered after the beast. Uh, <clears throat> He that lives in the captivity shall go into the captivity. He that kills with the sword shall be killed with the sword. So what happened was this. A man who was not known at all in France, all of a sudden, uh, rose to 
prominence. His name was Napoleon Bonaparte. And Napoleon Bonaparte wanted to conquer all of Europe. He wanted to control all of Europe. But he discovered that he had some resistance. And he was trying to figure out where the resistance came from. And he figured out that the church, while it acted like a church, under the ground was uh, involved in politics. And so Napoleon decided he was going to put a stop to that. So he sent his general to the Vatican and took the Pope prisoner, and the Pope died in exile. And so in 1798, precisely the year that God had declared would happen, that happened. So from 538 to 1798 is exactly 1260 years. And that's when the papacy received a deadly wound. But the deadly wound would be healed. So even though the church received a deadly wound and its head uh, was wounded to death. By the way, this, this pope uh, actually died in exile, as I said. The church was closed for a while. And then, of course, when Napoleon lost his battle in, at Waterloo, uh, Napoleon thought that because he had the biggest cannons, he said uh, that destiny was in favor of the ones who had the biggest cannons. So he took his large cannons to went into battle at Waterloo against the Brits. Uh, but one thing that Napoleon did not realize is that God had said in Daniel chapter 2, they will mingle together, but they shall not cleave one to another. Do you remember that? Yes or no? And so Napoleon was not fighting against the British. Napoleon was fighting against who? God, because he was trying to defy the word of God. And so he took his large cannons, believing that he would... Uh, just beat the, the British back with his huge cannons. But what happened was it rained. And it rained so much that his tanks sank in the mud. And he could not move his, tank, his cannons. And so finally when he was, when he was defeated, uh, the semaphores sent a message to, Britain, to England. And it said, uh, Napoleon defeated. And so they thought that uh, the Brits had lost. But when the smoke cleared, the rest of the message was by Wellington. <laughs> so, so actually, he lost the battle. And what he said was, God has been too much for me. That's Napoleon's statement. Well, but it says the wound would be Heal. Now I'm showing you a, a newspaper article from San Francisco Chronicle. Can you see that? And here's the headline. Mussolini and Gaspari sign historic Roman pact. And here's what it says in essence. The Roman question tonight was a thing of the past and the Vatican was at peace with Italy. In affixing the autographs on the memorable document, doing what? Healing the wound. Extreme cordiality was displayed on both sides. So the wound was healed. Exactly. Because the Bible had predicted that it would receive a wound, but the wound would finally be healed. And you can Google this. And I'm glad that Google is available because you can double check everything that I say. 
He shall speak great words. And the Bible then reveals that he would rule for time and times and the dividing of times. So, so great words against God was against his commandments. Here are the Ten Commandments. And if you notice the second commandment, thou shalt not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God, am a what? Jealous God visiting thee, iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them, as here uh, something needs to be corrected, that love me and do what? And keep my commandments. Here's the third commandment, the fourth commandment. You can see how much is written about the fourth commandment, uh, which sets it apart as a very, very important commandment. Then, of course, you have the honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not commit, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. And then the last one is thou shalt not covet a neighbor's house, nor a neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Here is the way the Ten Commandments have been changed. And the Lord your God, you shall not have any strange God before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Now you may wonder why the change. The reason the change is that people who do not know the Ten Commandments do not know that number two has been completely removed. Because it, has, it deals with worshiping idols. Making images of that in heaven or that in earth and bowing down to them. So, people who don't know the Ten Commandments and are taught these commandments, the reason for it is that every government has to have laws. Without laws, you cannot govern. So, when this power sought to take the place of Christianity and become the dominant religion, it still had to have laws. But it was to its advantage to use the laws of God and change them somewhat to make the people believe that they were being led to God when in reality they were being led to a man and an institution that changed the laws of God. Because the scripture says very plainly that to whom you yield yourself to obey, his servants you are. So it's very important for us to understand that there's a great, grave issue here. And that is that God is the only one that can save. Who? God is the only one that can save. And he saves through that which he has established and governs. And the enemy of God has sought to supplant him. And the best way he did it was to use that which is God's and change it just enough to lead people to follow that which was changed and therefore without them realizing it they're following the one that made the changes because they're not following the one that originated the Ten Commandments. Does that make sense? Okay. So, speaks blasphemy is very plain. What does this man speak blasphemy who can forgive sins but God is what they said about Jesus but can Jesus forgive? What's the answer? Absolutely. Why? Because he is God. 
but they would not accept Jesus as God. Consequently, because he forgave sins, they said, this man is speaking blasphemy, taking the prerogative of God. The Jews answered him, saying, for good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man, maketh thyself God. Well, let me show you some statements. In the Bible, it says, if we confess our sins, he, who is the he? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to change us, probably cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But let me give you some supporting historical information here. This comes from the Dignity and Duties of the Priest, page 34. The priest holds the place of the Savior himself. When saying, Ego te absalvo, he absolves from sin. Ego te absalvo means I, you, absolve. In English it would be, I absolve you. But Latin uses, Ego, I, te, you, absolvo. Now, what a redeemer to descend into a church and sit in the confessional to administer the sacrament of penance and a priest to sit in a confessional, Jesus would say, well, his penitent, each penitent, tego, ego te absolvo. The priest would likewise say over his penitent, tego, ego te absolvo. And the penitence of each would be what? Equally what? Absolve. Is that true? No. Does the beast have a mark? Well, let's look at it. The mark of the beast must be the mark of Roman uh, church's authority. In other words, every, every country, as I said, has its laws. And the reason why the police can come and arrest you is because you violated whatever law the government has established. Is that correct? Whether the law is justifiable or not, whether the law is good law, a good law or not, it matters not if the government has that law, then you have to abide by that law or else you're in trouble with the government. So the mark is has to do with its authority. So let's look at it. The Bible says and shall intend to change the times and laws. God's laws have time. There is one law that has time, and which, which one is that? The fourth commandment. So let's look at it. The Pope is of so great authority and power that he can modify, explain, or interpret even what? Divine law. This comes from Lucius Ferraris Prompta Biblioteca. Article Papab, second volume... Um, page 29. The Pope can modify divine law since his power is not of man but of God and he acts as a vicegerent of God upon the earth. The word vicegerent comes from the old word vicar which means in the place of. What does it mean? In the place of. If you read the Convict Catechism, which I have one at home, uh, it asks a question, which is the Sabbath day? And they answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. In other words, the, the Sabbath was solemn and the church transferred that solemnity from the Sabbath 
to Sunday. Now, question. Does a human entity have the power to change that which is holy? What's the answer? No. Well, what does the Roman Catholic Church claim is the sign of its authority? And this may be shocking to some of you, but here it is. Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act, and the act is a what? A mark of her what? Ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. C.F. Thomas, letter, October 20, 1895. Now, you may think that some of these quotes are pretty old and things have changed. Things are changing back to what they were before. But we do not realize it. Uh, here's 1923. Sunday is our mark of what? Authority. The church is above the Bible. And this transfer of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. This is the Catholic record, September 1, 1923. Priest uh, Thomas Enright, who used to be in Kansas City, Missouri, where I used to live, uh, one time he, he offered a, a $1,000 for anyone who could find a Bible verse supporting Sunday as the day of rest. By the way, he never lost $1,000 because nobody could come up with a verse from the Bible. But here's what he said. Prove to me from the Bible alone that I'm bound to keep Sunday holy. There is no such law in the Bible. It is a law of what? The Holy Catholic Church alone. The Bible says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Catholic Church says what? No. By my divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you to keep holy the first day of the week. And lo, the entire civilized world bows down in reverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. In other words, folks, there are some of you who are Protestants from different churches, Lutheran, Methodist, etc. But you, you do not realize that going, keeping Sunday in the Bible is a, is a real, real uh, great issue because it demonstrates that while you think that you are doing that which is pleasing to the Lord. You have been led to believe that when in reality the Bible still stands with the record that has not changed for millenniums. You can read the Bible today. It reads the same as it read 2,000, 3,000 years ago. And it still says the same thing. But most of us have not turned to the scriptures to study to find out what God says. We have simply been instructed to follow the particular tenets of our faith. And when we follow the tenets of our faith, we have been led to believe that we are pleasing the Lord. But the Bible reveals that the way you please the Lord is to obey Him by what He says. What do you say? Is, does that make sense? And so, here's another statement. Perhaps the boldest thing that the most revolutionary change the church ever did happen in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday, not from any direction noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority, did you hear that? Should logically become what? Seventh-day Adventist and keep Saturday holy. This is St. Catherine's Catholic Church Sentinel, May 21, what year? 1995.
So we're not speaking about the last century. We're speaking about a few years ago. What do you say? In other words, my friends, what the scripture is revealing in Revelation is that the enemy who was trying to subvert and supplant Christ was not able to succeed by using power against him. And so what he did then was he sought to change, influence the churches so that by changing what God had taught, the people would be led to follow him rather than following the Bible and following the Lord. This is quite shocking, I'm sure. Here's another letter. This is from Peter Tramer, uh, the Catholic Extension Magazine, and the address, etc. And this is under the blessing of Pope Pius the Twelve. The 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 Twelve. You see that? Can you see that? Under the blessing of Pope Pius the Twelve. Can you see that? Now, regarding the change from the observance of the Jewish Sabbath to the Christian Sunday, I wish to draw your attention to, to the facts that Protestants who accept the Bible as the only rule of faith and religion should by all means go back to the observance of the Sabbath. The fact that they do not, but on the contrary, observe Sunday, stultifies uh, uh, them in the eyes of every thinking man. In other words, it, 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 it uh, makes people kind of, why are they doing that? We Catholics do not accept the Bible as the only rule of faith. Besides the Bible, we have the living church, the authority of the church as a rule to guide us. We say that the, this church, instituted by Christ to, t to teach and guide men through life, has the right to change the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, and hence we accept the change of the Sabbath to Sunday. We frankly say, yes, the church made this change, uh, made this law, and as she made any many other laws, for instance, the Friday abstinence, the unmarried priesthood, the laws concerning mixed marriages, the regulations of the Catholic marriages, and a thousand other laws. We also say that of all the Protestants, the Seventh-day Adventists are the only group that reason correctly and are consistent with their teachings. It is always somewhat laughable to see the Protestant churches in pulpit and legislature demand the observance of Sunday, of which there is how much? Nothing in the Bible. Well, when the, the late John Paul was here in, the, in America, he made this statement. This is 1998. John Paul II is issuing a stern warning to Catholics that they should set aside one day. Sunday for worship. He went on to say they have, that a violator of Sunday should be punished as a heretic. So if you don't keep Sunday, you are a heretic. I'm glad to be a heretic. What do you say? Yeah. Let's look at the number very quickly because time is passing. Here's wisdom letting the who has understanding calculate the number of the beasts. For it is the number of a man, his number is 666. What's interesting about this is that I have a friend who recently passed away, um, Pastor Bruce Price from Australia. 
And some people began to bring up the issue that there was no way to prove that the Pope had a title on his mitre which stated that his title was Vicarius Filia Dei. And so this argument was going on. And Pastor Price called me up and he said, I want you to know that there's this argument going on in America. But I looked at my archives and discovered that I had a, an article that came from our Sunday visitor, November 1914. This is the edition of the Roman Catholic publication. And so, this, in this particular issue, people could write in questions or uh, ask for advice. And, of course, they would write here the responses to those questions, okay? And the one that I'm circling there is the one that, in particular, is of interest to us tonight. Let me amplify it. If you can see what it says, the title of the Pope of Rome is Vicarius Fili Dei. Can you see that? This is what? Inscribed on his mitre. And if you take the letters of his title, which represent Latin uh, numerical printed large, and add them together, they come to 666. And here's the title again, Vicarius Filidae. Now, you and I were taught Roman numerals when we were children. We went to school. Is that correct? Yes or no? So if I ask you, for example, an L, what does that represent? What about C? What does that represent? What about D? What is it? It is 500, okay. And an X, of course, is 10, a V or U is 5, and an I is 1. So there are letters in the Roman uh, language that actually had numerical value. And we know then that the Bible says that this comes from the Roman times. So therefore, using their particular uh, language, which is Latin, uh, we find then that the Pope actually has a title, Vicarius Filidae. And the actual meaning of Vicarius means the vicar of, Fili means son, and Dei means God. So the vicar of the Son of God, or the substitute or the replacer of the Son of God. In the Roman times, when Caesar sent somebody in his behalf, that somebody had to be treated like Caesar. So he was called a vicarius. And so if he said something, Caesar was saying it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that title then from Rome is brought into the Catholic faith and is placed on the mitre of the Pope, declaring that he is the vicar of the Son of God. He is the, the actual human flesh representative of the Son of God. Therefore, you must listen to him because in essence, he is God. So, you can see then, in larger letters, the title of the Pope of Rome is Vicarius Philidae. This is inscribed in his mitre. And if you take the letters of his title, which represent Latin numerals, printed large and add them together, they come to 666. And so they actually added them for us. You see that? V equals 5, I equals 1, C equals 100. A and R have no value. I, 5, V, 5. 
then I1, L50, I1 and I1, and then D500, then the E, I1. If you add them all together, they actually add up to 666. In Spanish, they would say something like this, más claro no puede cantar el gallo. And for those of you who don't speak in tongues, it simply means the rooster cannot cry any clearer than that. The papacy's title, Vicarius Philidae. And I'm glad that Pastor Price preserved that in his files and sent me a copy because it is clear that what we have believed for years, it is true. And so, let's compare Christ and the papacy. Christ's forgiveness is what? Free. The papacy's forgiveness is by indulgence and penance. I have friends who used to be Catholic priests and no longer are they Catholic priests. And when they leave the Catholic faith, they are more frank and open about telling you what they have been taught and instructed as priests and, and nuns. And it's always amazing to discover the kind of things that they bring, bring to bear in terms of some of these things. But salvation is by faith and by the papacy, salvation is by works. In other words, it is the telling you that you have to light a candle, say so many Hail Marys, and do, recite this, and recite that, that is to be that which expiates your sins. The Pope then, pardon me, the priest then tells you what to do, and he is the one that does what he needs to do for you. According to the scriptures then, the resurrection by Christ uh, is a pivotal, or should I say, and one of those milestones in the scriptures concerning the hope that God gives people after they pass away. But the papacy, or should I say the church, has established that one can be delivered from purgatory or hell by who? By the priest. All he has to do is do a few masses and you can get out of purgatory or get out of hell. So even if you died... Uh, and somebody pays enough money for your masses, then no matter what you've done in your life, you can be expiated and you can be brought out of hell and taken to heaven. There's much more that I could say, but you can compare and see the difference between Christ and the papacy. Can you see that? So, Christ prayed to the Father. People are taught to pray to Mary and the saints. The dead are dead. The Catholic sees that the dead are, are alive and venerated. Uh, for example, when you have a, something called Halloween, you know what Halloween means? It means holy evening. Did you know that? Yes or no? It means holy evening, Halloween. So Halloween means holy evening. And what it is, it's simply a veneration of the dead. It is then that people are taught that the dead actually come to life. And the reason why you're taught to say trick or treat is this. And they are taught that uh, the spirits come out of the graves. And if you don't go and put food or gifts at their graves, they can come and harass you. So either you treat them or you get tricked. Did you know that the rest of the story? Yes or no? So they teach then that the dead actually come alive and are living during that time. And uh, the real reason they did that was because 
the monks knew people were superstitious, superstitious and they depended on the food that the people could give. And so they taught them that they had to bring food to the grave. And of course, the food would disappear and the people would come back the next day and thought that the spirits had eaten the food. It's a very serious issue. What do you say? When you deal with people's salvation, no wonder that Paul says, let him be a curse. Because there's nothing more serious than to steal someone's salvation by teaching them errors that lead them to believe things that don't come from Christ. Jesus has paid with his blood to save us. He gave everything to make sure that you could be led in the right path. And he wants us to follow him because he is the only one that can save us. What do you say? And so you can, you can compare it. In the Revelation 17, there's a, a woman there. She is, so it says, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. In other words, this is a church sitting on pagan Rome. Do you understand? Showing where the church actually originated. And she is called Mystery Babylon the Great, the Mother of Harlots, and the Abomination of the Earth. Now, I want you to see the statement. A, a similar fundamentalist position prevailed in June when the Vatican ordered bishops to avoid references to what? Sister churches. Instead, remember that the one holy Catholic and apostolic church is not sister, but what? But mother of the particular Christian faith. That is why the Bible says, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and what? And abominations of the earth. And so, Jesus says, How be it in what? In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctors the commandments of man. Now, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Do what? Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached up unto heaven, and God have remembered her iniquity. My friends, we are in the final stages of earth's history. The Bible reveals that because the enemy knows that he has a short time, he has gone out to deceive the world. And the best way he's done it is with religion. With what? With religion. That which God put together to be a blessing to mankind, the enemy has twisted to become a curse to mankind. The Lord appeals to us, to his children, to awake and to realize that if you are not following his truth, you're not doing his will, that you are in danger of your salvation. Let no one think that once you're saved, you're always saved. The Bible does not teach that at all. The angels who kept not their first estate. In other words, if there were anybody who was saved, were the angels who were in heaven. What do you say? But yet a third of them, what happened? Can we say that the third that left heaven are saved? Even though they were once saved? No, we cannot say them. If angels can fall, so can humans fall. And your standing before God is based upon his truth not upon your feelings. God has revealed this truth to you. God has made plain how he wants to save you. He has given you his commandments.
to be a shelter to keep you from stepping out into dangerous paths. As you stay within that which God has ordained, you find safety and you find peace. Your conscience is at peace. But as you step out of that which the Lord has ordained, you find yourself in trouble. You begin to feel that something is wrong. You don't realize what it is, but you don't feel comfortable out there. You know that you're not in the right path. And you know that God is calling you to get back on the right path. Fortunately, the Lord has led all of you here to get back on track. And I say, hallelujah, what do you say? God has revealed to you precious light. But Jesus said, walk in the light while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness does not know where he walks. Oh, friend, listen. If there ever was a time when you and I need to be on the right path, it is today. Straight and narrow is the way. Yes, it's not easy, humanly speaking, to walk in that straight path. But it is the only safe path. I pray, God, that you understand that and that you'll be willing by God's grace to walk in that path. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognize that your word has revealed the reasons why there's so much division in Christianity. Because of all the wine that has made the world drunk with the false doctrines that have crept in. But as we study the scriptures, our eyes are open. And it, we long, Father, to be back on that path. And so bless us. We stand tonight as a statement to tell you that we want to be obedient children of our Savior. We thank you for hearing us in his name. Amen.
Hey 